1: It's June 2nd, 1875, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, The Retrospectors. We all know who invented the telephone, right? It was Alexander Graham Bell, the brilliant and beardy Scottish-born inventor who nominative determinism alone had predestined should come up with some (laughs) sort of a ringing device. But like any good historical narrative, there's quite a lot of nuance in this particular claim, with many smart and beardy folks racing to achieve more or less the same thing. Bell's effort, though, had a critical breakthrough today in history in 1875, when he heard an unexpected twang sound that came as a bit of a eureka moment.
0: Yeah, so this isn't the moment which is often commemorated slash romanticised when he first spoke to his assistant, Mr Watson, on the phone. And it isn't the moment that we've discussed before on this show where he said, ahoy, because they hadn't worked out you should start (laughs) a call with hello yet. This is the moment where he sort of accidentally really stumbled across the technology that underpins the whole business of transmitting voice through wires, what he called then the quest for the speaking telegraph.
2: Yeah, so the prototype of the telephone that he was working on at this point used metal reeds to create vibrations at different frequencies, which in turn, the idea was that they would be conveyed via electrical signals over telegraph lines to a receiver. And that would have its own vibration to replicate the same sounds at the other end. So if I was alive
0: in 1875, I would not be one of the bearded people in the race to (laughs) create this technology. I'm already confused.
2: Well, it, in fairness, the reason that Bell thought that this was possible was because he misunderstood a mistranslation of an article that made him think it had already been done in Germany. He later said if he had understood the situation correctly, he wouldn't have bothered going down this path <laughs> at all. Wow. But anyway, he had gone down it, and so he and Watson were experimenting. They were actually they actually met at Charles Williams's Boston workshop, which is where Watson met Edwin Holmes, the guy who created the first commercial burglar alarm. They met there at the same place in 1878. This was a real a real who's who. But, you know um, of, of
0: people from our previous episodes <laughs> of people from our previous episodes yeah. there's a Helen Keller yeah. reference still to come I mean they're all in it <laughs> well
2: Anyway, so they were in the workshop, they were experimenting with this device with metal reeds and Watson accidentally brushed up against one of them and Bell, who was at the receiving end of the wire 60 feet away, heard the tone and this was the basis of the telephone. He proved that it could be done, that he could hear the sound. He, at this point it couldn't It couldn't replicate human speech but it could transmit sound.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of people who were working on similar kinds of technology to find new ways of using the telegraph to basically make it more efficient in being able to deliver a message and the idea was that if you had a harmonic telegraph where you hit different notes, then you could communicate a lot of different information at the same time. Yeah, because the telegraph, as
0: invented by Samuel Morse in 1844, it was amazing, but it was expensive and you could only send one message at a time yeah. by going da da da, da, da. Exactly. So this, this idea was if we multiplex it, that's what they called it then we could, we could have lots of messages all happening at once, like a
1: modem. Yeah, the, the telegraph system of old was literally one note, and this was going to be polyphonic, so you could communicate lots of things at the same time. And by the middle of the 1870s, a bunch of people, including Bell, were working on this simultaneously because, you know, the telegram system had become, as we've said before, the internet of the age. And accordingly, the largest telegraph company of the United States, which was Western Union, had offered a prize of one million dollars for whoever could develop the first system for simultaneous transmission of several communications at the same time. And so Bell was in a race with other people, including Elisha Gray, who is another person who claims the mantle of uh, being the inventor of the telephone. But he was also working on this uh, harmonic telegraph system at the same time as Bell.
2: Yeah, I mean, Gray was really the Tesla of the race to create the phone. Uh, So... The first time that a phone call was made where speech could be transmitted was using this, it, it used a, like a vibrating needle in water and that, to change the frequencies. And he had filed this intention to lodge a pattern, which was something you could do at the time, the same day that Bell filed him. So, it, so there's definitely room for it to be contested. But I'm sorry, we only have room in, in pop culture for one inventor of the telephone, <laughs> sadly. It was Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs>
0: well, I suppose the difference between the two men, which is quite interesting is that Gray is sort of a technologist, really, who's inventing things because he's interested in the hardware as much as the application. Bell approaches this from an obsession with the voice and the way the human voice is received by the ear. So he was a teacher of vocal physiology and speech at Boston University. He was from a long line of elocutionists. His grandfather was an elocutionist, and so was his father. And he opened the School of Vocal Physiology for deaf students in 1872, where former Retrospective star Helen Keller was one of his most famous pupils. His wife was deaf, so was his mother. So the thing he was interested in is, how can we mimic what I know about the human ear and the human voice in a piece of technology? And when you know that and you look at what they were using, I mean, it looks nothing like a phone, if you've seen photos of (laughs) it. It's like the inside of a speaker. If you've ever ever ripped open a hi-fi, that's what it looks like. little membrane diaphragm, brass knobs, wooden box, wires... It's pretty wild, but it wouldn't have been to him. It would have looked like, oh, this is how we, this is how we replicate the human ear.
2: Yeah, and he was no stranger to that kind of thing. As teenagers, he and his brother had built a mechanical head that could speak (laughs) by manipulating the lips and larynx they'd built while they pumped air through it via a bellows. As you mentioned, his mother started to go deaf when he was 12, and this distressed him a lot. He came up with this way to talk to her by talking directly against her forehead because, Mm. you know, the vibration that she could make out what he was saying better. And then also, yeah, his father specialised in communicating with deaf and deaf-mute people. He, He created this system called visible speech, which was a phonetic system that was designed to help deaf people speak basically what they would they had to do is memorise all the different positions of the tongue and the lips and he'd come up with a system of symbols to represent all of these movements the idea being that even if you couldn't hear if you successfully memorised all of these positions you would be able to speak I think now there's a lot of politics around the deaf community and the relationship between speech and sign but at the time the idea that deaf and deaf mute people could integrate into hearing society via lip reading and speech was progressive a lot of deaf people at the time were ignored or assumed that to be mentally impaired. You're really isolated. Alexander Graham Bell's own wife was one of the first generation of deaf children to be taught to speak. She could lip read and speak and you know, she was integrated into mainstream society.
1: I mean, it's this background that some... Uh, scholars have tended to say was the advantage that Bell was working with over people like Alicia Gray, who had a much more traditional engineering background. He was a professor at Oberlin College and worked very closely with Western Union throughout much of his career. The the race to get their patents in, and both putting patents for the same technology into the patent office on the very same day, does come with this bit of um, possible subterfuge, which is that there's some contemporary suggestion that the lawyer for Bell who submitted his application got to look at Alicia Gray's application and see basically how the functioning works and there's a a sort of suspicious detail which is that the very next day Bell starts experimenting with this water-based method of uh, creating telephones. He only ever used it in an experimental way to prove that you can communicate sound from one place to another but the fact that he was even doing things that looked similar to what Grey had been doing, the day after their lawyers had kind of bumped into each other at the patent office does look a little bit suspicious.
0: It must have been so exciting, though, in that era
1: to be doing something
0: so pioneering and then actually see it take off. I mean, it wasn't an instant hit, the telephone, because obviously it required whole villages and towns to be equipped with telephone wires before anyone could use it. But the concept was an instant hit. Royalty was shown it. Presidents Mm. were shown it.
2: Yeah, and yet it was a long time before he was able to make any money off it. There was this amazing pretty woman moment early on where he <laughs> offered to sell the patent to Western Union for a hundred thousand dollars and the the president of Western Union dismissed the device as a toy. You know, it was a proper like big mistake, huge. <laughs> and this makes it slightly less of a big gesture that when he married his wife Mabel. He gave her all but one of his shares in the new Bell Telephone Company and he named her its first president, which is great on the surface, but it would be 20 years before the business became really profitable. But she <laughs> did. I mean, you know, she made her money in the end. He, he was a bit of a romantic, actually, took a prototype telephone on their honeymoon.
1: Well, he took it everywhere, really. Bell showed it to Queen Victoria. Uh, He had a demonstration in London where the Queen considered the process to be quite extraordinary, although she did say that the sound was. Welcome, return to that impression after a few years in the gutter. (laughs) I just thought that it was funny that she was critical of it. She said that it was rather faint after saying that it was amazing. Well, it was considered an intrusion
0: by the upper classes, wasn't it? Previously, to get to speak to an aristocrat, you had to go through the butler, right? If you turn up, if a caller turns up unannounced, they basically get screened off. Which is why, of course, staff were answering the phone rather than the man or, or lady of the house. But even so, there was just this kind of instant decision. Oh God, do we speak to them or not? Which people didn't like. They thought it was well, intrusive.
2: I guess it's gone full circle because people hate phone calls again now for the yeah. exact same reasons that they hated them then. Yeah, it's yeah, always yeah.
1: felt intrusive. I mean, even when the phone rang in your house in the sort of like, you know, the pre-mobile phone era, the fact that you had to run and it could be anyone and pick <laughs> up to absolutely any person of any class was yeah. repulsive. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> uh, overstated my case, but you know, it's always, <laughs> <laughs> has been a little bit uh, annoying to have to answer phone calls.
2: It's hard to know where Arian ends and Queen Victoria
1: <laughs> And so another week of retrospecting ends, but next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com/slash Retrospectors. Part of the Acast Creator Network.
0: Even on a budget.